When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, the first letter he wrote, uh, if you've ever done much reading from Corinthians or heard it preached from much, you know that the Corinthian church just had a lot of problems. I don't know if they had more problems than any other church, but you can certainly find a long list of problems that they had at the church. And so from chapter 1 uh, all the way through, I guess, chapter 14, Paul is dealing, listing all these problems and dealing with them. But then after all the stuff he talks about, he gets to chapter 13. You know, there's only 16 books in the last chapter 2 kind of uh, summation. But he's talking about all these problems, but then he gets to chapter 13, and he just kind of changes directions, and we find what we call the love chapter. And so he starts talking about what love is. If you still use Old King James Version, it's called charity, which is love. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I won't read the first few verses. Paul's just talking about the importance of love. He says, no matter how good I do at other things, if I don't have love, then nothing else matters. So you can read the first three chapters. But then he gets, or first three verses, <clears throat> but then he gets down to verse 4, and Paul lists 14 qualities about love. So let's read those real quick. He says that love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It does not provoke. Thinks no evil. Um, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but in, rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he's got his, kind of, his closing thoughts on, on the subject of love. So what I would like to do this morning is take each of these 14 qualities about love that Paul lists and look at them individually and apply them to a marriage, the, the way we deal with our husband or wife. Now this, of course, it applies to all of our life, the way we deal with people at work and our enemies and our friends and our kids. But I want to look specifically this morning about how these 14 qualities apply to marriage. Now if you listen to country music or I guess any kind of pop music or anything, you think that uh, when you hear people sing about love, which is sung about an awful lot, you would think that love is a feeling. Or you would think it's uh, something that, that hits you, like the flu, and then you get over it or something. Uh, people Songs talk about falling in love and then falling out of love. But if you notice, as we go through these, these 14 things that I read, these don't have anything to do with feelings. These are all actions. These are things that we do. And... When you got married, you signed up to do these 14 things. Now, as we go through it, you go, well, I never thought of that. I, I didn't understand that. Like, well, it doesn't really matter. If you got married, you signed up to do these 14 things. It's like when you're on the Internet and uh, you go to a certain site and you've got to click agree to these terms. It doesn't matter if you read them. It doesn't matter if you understand them. When you check that box... You just agree to it. And it's the same with marriage. The marriage vows, whether it's your traditional vows or you wrote your own, you made promises to love and to cherish, to honor and sickness and health and all these things. And so that's what we're going to go through here. We're going to see what we signed up for when we got married. The first thing that Paul says about love is that love suffers long. Uh, normally if we think 
suffering, we think that uh, like we're sick, we're suffering from the flu or something. Uh, but what suffer, mean, suffer means is to, to put up with or, or to endure. In the old King James, Paul says, but I suffer not a woman to teach. He says, I don't allow it. When you suffer something, you, you allow it or you put up with it. Paul says that love suffers long. When you first fall in love with somebody, fall in, love, fall in infatuation with someone, you think that marriage is just going to be a bed of roses. But you know, you've got to put up with an awful lot of stuff. Uh, all the things that were unimportant before you got married, because you were so in love and infatuation, oh, that's no big deal, you know. All those little things that weren't important suddenly become very important when you've got to live with them every day. Have you ever said to yourself, every day I have to pick up after you. Every day I have to. It gets old after a while, doesn't it? But you know what? It doesn't ma matter if you've been married a month, if you've been married 40 years. It's the same. I still have to put up with an awful lot of stuff, just like you do after two weeks of marriage. It never changes. Till the day you die, you will just have to put up with a lot of stuff. Uh, the Bible says that stuff... Uh, or says that love suffers long. People say, that's it, that's all, that's all I can take. No. In marriage, you can't say that. You just got to keep on. You got to keep on tolerating stuff, putting up with the bad habits or little things that irritate you. That's just the nature of, of, what, of love, is that it suffers long. Paul says that love is kind. In Ephesians 4 and verse 32, it says, But be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. To be kind. You know, most of us are kind people. We hold the door open for somebody. We say thank you. We say yes, ma'am. We say no, sir. Uh, we talk politely. We say may I please. Or, or if it, you know, We're just kind to other people. But then we get home and we're tired or been home all day with the kids and just had a rough day and, and we forget to be kind to each other. The opposite of kindness is hateful. Have you ever been around someone that's just hateful? Just everything that they say is just nasty. You think, you know, it works. Somebody that's hateful, you think, you think to yourself, how can you be like that? Are you that unhappy with life that you can't be nice to people? And yet, if you look around, uh, you'll see a lot of husbands or wives are just hateful to each other, even in the church. I've, I've been, in, fortunately, not very often, but I've been in situations where I was just embarrassed to be there, the way a husband was treating his wife, the way the wife was just nagging on the husband. I thought, how rude. Don't, it, when, you go, when you go into... Starbucks or 7-Eleven and you get your Coke or your coffee or something, you hold the door open for somebody, don't forget to do that for your wife. When you compliment somebody at work, don't forget to do that to your spouse. I was at Kroger's recently getting a prescription refilled, and I didn't have to wait. Man, they just had it just like that. And I told the lady, I said, man, you're the greatest. And she, she surprised me. She goes, oh, thanks. That's the first compliment I've gotten in a long time. And... Uh, and I kind of teased her a little bit, and I complimented her again. She said, oh, wow, I like that. And I thought, man, that, I mean, I'm glad that she appreciated the compliment, but it's sad that 
just a simple compliment like that really caught her attention. I wonder how her home life is. Or maybe she's not married. I don't know. Don't forget to be kind to the people that you're around all the time. It's easy to fall into a rut and uh, just forget to be kind. Don't forget to be kind. Paul says that love does not envy. You know, you wouldn't think that in marriage that envy would be a problem. Sometimes you envy your neighbor's uh, uh, boat or camper or his big house or the fact he can go on vacations all the time. And you wouldn't think that envy would enter into a marriage. But if you stop and think about it, opposites attract. Now when they say opposites attract, that doesn't mean like a, a Christian marrying an atheist. That's just, if either of you is very strong in your conviction, that's not going to work out. When they say opposites attract, that means in personality. you got a real friendly, outgoing person that's attracted to a quiet, reserved person. you got maybe a maybe a little bit timid or shy person that's married to a really bold person that takes risks and is not afraid of anything. And if you'll look at the couples you know and in your own marriage or your significant other, you'll notice you're probably in a lot of ways opposite. I can only think of one couple, that was Thomas and Nancy Richburg in Plainview, that they just seemed the same. They didn't seem opposite at all. But for the rest of us, we're opposite. And what that means is, is that your spouse is going to uh, have uh, talents or abilities or, or qualities or traits or knowledge or wisdom that you don't have and you should be thankful for that Angie and I have both agreed that I could not be married to someone like me and she could not be married to someone like her but together we make a good team so if your husband is better at something than you are be happy for that you know, I've said that, uh, I think I said just recently that, that everybody loves Angie. And when Angie dies, there's going to be a lot of people at her funeral because everybody loves Angie. But if I die first, there's going to be a lot of people at my funeral because everybody loves Angie. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have to be envious of, of my wife that, that she knows things that I don't know or can do things that I can't do. Sometimes I hear on the phone, one of our kids will call and say, say, Mom, you know, or they just get to talking, you know, and they bring up a problem, and Angie says, you know, Angie starts talking to them, and I go, my goodness, where did you get that wisdom? I, I could never think up something like that. But, you know, I'm thankful that she's got that wisdom. Sure, I wish I was, was like that, but I'm not, but she is. And so our kids don't have to come to me if, if I'm not the right person. They can go to her. And I don't have to be envious. Envy is a, not just a, a wanting something, but being upset that you don't have it, being discontent. Don't be envious of your spouse. Be thankful. Be thankful that he or she's got the qualities that you don't, and so between the two of you, you make a really good pair. Uh, synergy is where one plus one equals three. Now, normally that doesn't make sense. But you take a husband that's got these traits and a wife that's got these that he doesn't have and vice versa, and together you make a, a really, really strong team. Don't be envious, but be happy. Paul says that love does not parade itself. One of the things that Jesus criticized was the scribes and Pharisees going before all the other Jews and uh, making their clothes look really nice or uh, 
blowing a trumpet so everybody would turn and look to them. That's parading yourself. And of course, we don't do that. But are you the type of person that has to be the center of attention? And no matter what's said, that you've got to uh, say it louder or, or uh, draw the attention back to yourself. Um, I know a couple of people that, that I love, but it's just really hard to be around. Recently, Angie was talking to someone, and she was telling something that she was really excited about. And you could just see the other guy, he, he couldn't wait. He wasn't listening. He couldn't wait for her to quit talking because he had a better story. And she got through and said, I can outdo that. In the contest, can you not be happy about what I was telling you about? This is something I, I was happy about, and it happened to me, and I was just wanting to share it. Can you not be happy about it? Oh, I can do better than that. I know someone that no matter where you've been, they've been there more times than you. No matter what famous person you met, they met someone more famous. Or if you got to play golf with this famous person, they got to play golf with all these famous people. No matter what, it's always, always, I mean always. I don't even tell stories anymore. I don't tell interesting things that happen. You know, it was almost in a wreck coming over to your house. Oh, well you think that's bad. My, this isn't a friendship. It's not a conversation. It's a contest. I didn't come over here for a contest. I came over here for a friendship. Your wife didn't marry you to have a contest and see you could be better. You don't have to always be the center of attention. Let someone else be in the spotlight. Let someone else bask in the glory. Don't try to outdo somebody. Don't parade yourself. Oh. <coughs> Paul says that love is not puffed up. Puffed up like being self-important or arrogant. Nobody likes a know-it-all. When I got hired on the fire department, uh, we had to go down to the Richardson Fire Department. We had to go down to UT Southwest in Dallas for paramedic school. And I guess that took six months. Well, I lived up there, you know, close to Van Alstine. There was another guy who lived in Van Alstine, another guy who lived in Denison. So the three of us carpooled down there. And the guy that lived in Denison was just the nicest old country boy you could ever meet. He was so nice. Oh, I loved that guy. But the other guy, and he was a likable guy, boy. You just liked him right away, real friendly. But he was a know-it-all. And he really was a know-it-all. Because <laughs> we would try to catch him in a lie, and we'd be talking and, oh, I don't know, driving down the road and talk about highway construction. He said, oh, yeah, when they pour the concrete, no, this. And I go, how does he know about that? He's never been in construction. So I'd go home at night and I'd look up highway construction. <laughs> he was right. How did he know that? <laughs> We'd be talking and uh, just, he always knew stuff. And he was always, but you know what? We didn't enjoy his company. Like I said, there was no conversation. It was more of a competition. Do you treat your husband or wife like that? Always try to win every argument and always show that you're smarter and that you're right and she didn't know what she's talking about or he was wrong again? Marriage isn't a competition. It's, a, it's teamwork. We've got the same goal. Always remember, it's not you against her or her against you. It's you and her against the problem. It's teamwork. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. It also says, pride goes before destruction in Proverbs 16 and verse 18. I know a guy... And I seriously doubt he'll ever hear this lesson, but I'll just call him Jack. Just 
on off chance he heard the lesson. And he's about my age, maybe a little older. And I've known him ever since we moved to Gunner. Just the nicest, funnest, sweetest guy. You just, just instantly like him. You can tell he's a nice guy. Well, about a year ago, I mean, they got, like I said, my age or maybe a little older, and they've got kids that are grown and college, maybe grandkids. She just up and left him. After 35 or 40 years of marriage, and he thought everything was fine, and she just up and left him. And he's never gone into a lot of detail. He's never told me what happened or what she said. He may not know. But he told me, he said, don't ever take your wife for granted. You know, divorce is not, in 99% of cases, divorce is not the right answer. And we talked about suffering long and all this stuff. But don't push your luck. Don't think, of course this goes both ways, but I'm a guy and I'm talking about my friend who's a guy. Don't think that just because she loves you and she suffers long and she's kind and she's not arrogant, don't think that the way that you treat her doesn't get on her nerves. You may wake up one day like my friend did and she's just gone. Don't think that your nagging is harmless. He may be attracted to someone at work that's kind to him and friendly. Now that's wrong. I'm not justifying it. But don't make it hard for the other person to do, to do right. Make it easy for them to do right. If you ever bought a new pair of shoes or maybe go out for the weekend, go on a hiking trip, and uh, maybe you wear these shoes all the time. They're comfortable. You go on a hiking trip and walk two or three or four or five or ten miles, all of a sudden you get a blister. And it's the same pair of shoes, and you're walking the same, but it's rubbing a little bit, and you didn't notice it before. But after a while, it keeps rubbing and rubbing and rubbing that same spot, and you've got a very painful blister. Don't, don't rub a blister on your spouse. Of course, I was talking about not being puffed up. You know, no, no one likes to know it all. After a while, you can tolerate them for a little bit, but after a while, it, it really wears on you. Paul says that love is not rude. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 says, be courteous. Now, I'm not going to give you the Webster's definition of uh, courteous but, or rudeness, but I'll tell it to you like this. If you don't want someone doing it to you, don't do it to other people. Even if it's not something that bothers you, if the other person doesn't do it, or doesn't like it, don't do it. That's what I used to tell my kids. They'd be doing something that's harmless, and they knew that the reason they were doing it is they knew it upset the other person. And I said, if they don't like it, don't do it. And of course, the argument is, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I was just, I was just doing this, or you know, I wasn't hurting anyone. If they don't like it, don't do it. Love is not rude. Talked about being kind, be courteous. Uh, the golden rule, uh, Matthew 7 and verse 12 basically says, treat other people the way you want to be treated. I hate to keep using the same stories. I think I, last time I preached, I may have used this story. Uh, back when our kids were little, I worked at this apartment. And I had, we had this woman manager. 
And I guess of all the bosses I ever had, she was the worst. Oh, she was hard to work with. And, uh, of course, she was the first part hard. I mean, now I could probably put up with her real well because I worked with other people. She was so hard to work with. And I'd get so irritated at her. We, they, she's the one, I told you this story, she's the one, anytime she'd come around, me and the guy I worked with, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know, the Wicked Witch from Wizard of Oz. Uh, but I was going home, and I was complaining to Angie about her. Every day I complain. You know what she did today. You know what she did today. I can't believe I'm so tired of working for her. I wish I worked. So and then I don't know what clicked. But one day it clicked, and I was doing a lot of the same stuff to Angie. And I didn't like it, but I was doing the same thing to her. How hard was it for her to sit there and listen to me, gripe about my boss, and then turn around and treat her like that? Don't be rude. Remember, remember the blister. You know, after a while, little things get to be awful, awful big things. Love does not seek its own. We live in a society where everybody talks about my right. I have a right to free speech. My kid has a right to wear whatever he wants to at school. I have a right to do this. That is a sure way to wreck a marriage whenever you're worried about your rights in a marriage. Marriage is not... 50-50. Marriage is 100%, 100%. You're always trying to figure out how you can help the other person, make the other person better, make their life better. And you know what will happen? In return, they'll do the same for you. Um, John Kennedy, you've heard John Kennedy's quote, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Think right now. All the people that are out riding and complaining about what a bad country this is. What if they were out doing something? What if they were out picking up trash, uh, repairing the houses of the poor people or the <coughs> widows, uh, doing community service, working with the Boy Scouts? What would our country be like if you weren't reading about riots but reading about good deeds that everyone did all the time? What would your marriage be like if you did everything you could to take care of your spouse and to make their life better. Just treat your wife like a queen. Treat your husband like a king. I told Adelaide this morning, she spent the night with us. I said, you know what, we are really blessed that Angie is such a good cook and that she likes to take care of other people. Be that kind of person for, for your husband or wife. Paul says that love is not provoked. Do you get mad easily? Well, let me give you a quick test. Road rage? <laughs> You're driving along too long and listening to the radio and everything's cool. It's a sunny day. Ah! All of a sudden you're mad. Are you that kind of spouse? For a lot of our marriage, I've been that kind of spouse. Uh, I was just, you know, I just had a chip on my shoulder. I was just, I was just ready to get mad when I walked. Who left this here? You know, why didn't you do this? How easy is that to live with? It's not. Even if your spouse isn't that way, you probably had a boss that was that way. I talked about the one I didn't like. I've had some really good bosses, and I've had some really bad ones. Man, those bad bosses that are never happy, always griping. Uh, everything you do is wrong. They micromanage. Man, you dread going to work. Uh, you, sometimes, I know other people do it, because I heard a guy in Gunner talk about this, but you have a job like that. and Used to, I went 
I had some guys at the fire station just hated me. And uh, one of them was always a step above me, you know, as far as rank. And I don't know if he did it intentionally, but it seemed like he was doing everything he could to make my life miserable. I'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't go back to sleep. And there I'd got to bed 11 o'clock that night, and I'd get up, wake up at 3, couldn't go back to sleep, and drive to the fire department on four hours of sleep. And then be up in the middle of the night, you know, fighting a fire or on a medical call or something. Man, that wore me out. Is your marriage like that? Your home should be a place where when people walk in, they go, and feel good and relax. It shouldn't be a place where when people get home from school or get home from work or when you come home from work that all of a sudden it's tense because you're just ready to get mad about the littlest things. My dad wasn't a Christian, and when my mom was at home, everything was cool. Man, as soon as my dad got home, the, the atmosphere just went down. Don't be that kind of husband. You're a Christian. Don't be that kind of husband. Don't be that kind of wife. Proverbs 20, speaking about getting easily provoked, Proverbs 25 and verse 28 says, He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. You know, before missiles and, and bombs and airplanes, if you had a strong wall around your city, it was almost impossible to get into it. I mean, you, the people inside were safe. And if you've got self-control, if you control your emotions and your anger, then Satan's going to have a hard time getting to you. If he can easily provoke you, make you mad, jealous, envious, whatever, if your feelings rule you, your life is going to be miserable. I was talking about this uh, friend of ours that uh, no matter what I had done, she had done it more times or better or faster or whatever. Her husband's the exact opposite. He's just almost monotone. I've never seen him get mad. Now, I'm sure he gets mad, but if he did, I doubt you could tell <laughs> Just always easy going, relaxed. He always talks the same way. He talks like this. He measures his thoughts. He doesn't get excited. And I bet you he's a really easy guy to work with. I bet you that, uh, unlike my dad, I bet you he was easy to have for a dad. Be that kind of Christian. Don't be easily provoked. Did y'all hear about the elder over at Gunner that got arrested for drunk driving? Did you believe that? <laughs> Not that I know of. Paul says that love thinks no evil. Are you the type of person when you hear something like that, you go, oh, wow, and believe it? Or are you the type of person, you know, sometimes I'll read something in the news, I go, uh, that, just that just doesn't sound right. I, I'm not sure about that. Or are you the type of person that you believe everything you hear? You know, when something bad is, hey, did you hear about it? Oh, really, man, that's bad. Do you delight in, in bad things? The Bible says that love thinks no evil. If there's two ways that something can be taken, take it the good way. You were talking about road rage a while ago. Someone pulls out in front of you, and you get so mad and everything, and you get up there beside him, and you look, and it's some little old lady, and you go, oh, oh, oh. She didn't mean that. It was an accident. She didn't see you. Don't take things the bad way. If your wife says something, don't take it the wrong way. If it can be taken two ways, 
Take it the good way. Even if they meant it the wrong way, take it the good way. Don't think evil. Uh, my dad, I, mean, I don't want to rag on him, but you know if a tool got left outside, I, t- I tell one of my kids, I say, they're just a kid. Let them be a kid. That's what kids do. That is your job to help them learn not to do these things. Don't get bent and out of shape. Don't think that they're stupid, they're lazy, they're, they're kids. In the, the movie Hook with Robin Williams, you know about Peter Pan, uh, Robin Williams was a dad and he goes, quit acting like a kid. And the little boy looks at him and says, but dad, I am a kid. <laughs> don't, don't think evil about everyone's actions. Uh, my dad, his, grand, his parents, H.E. Logan Sr., uh, they were married in Lubbock back in the 20s, I guess. And they got divorced when my dad was a kid. And my dad said that there were some rumors going around about my grandfather, and my grandmother chose to believe them, and they weren't true. Love thinks no evil. Don't impute improper motives to other people. Don't, don't expect the worst. The Bible says that love, or Paul says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but in the truth. Proverbs chapter 24 in verse 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, lest the Lord see it and it displease him. Now there's one thing between hoping that the bad guy will get arrested and sent to jail, or, uh, you know, the the guy that's driving 120 down your streets, you know, maybe gets his license taken away. But when he crashes in the tree and dies, you don't, don't be happy about that. I mean, that's a, that's a really sad thing. Don't tell your spouse, well, I told you so. Don't tell your kids. Well, if you'd done it the way I told you, that wouldn't happen. See there? Don't, don't be glad when bad things happen to other people. Don't be glad when your wife learns the hard way. When you, when you tell her, say, don't do that, honey. You, you might break. And then she breaks and you go. <laughs> Ephesians 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. In verse 20, that's verse 25. In verse 29, he says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just like you take care of yourself, you want the best for you, you want people to treat you well, do the same for others. Don't, don't be happy when something bad happens to them. Paul says that love bears all things. Another verse similar in 1 Peter 4 and 8, verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. At some point in your life, you're just going to have to bite your tongue, and keep quiet, and just endure whatever you're going through. It may be in school, it may be a teacher that's unfairly treating you. You may be in court and justice doesn't prevail. Uh, Maybe someone says something bad about you and you just have to grin and bear it. You may have a boss that uh, mistreats you. At some point in your life, you just got to bite your tongue and grin and bear it. Now, if you can do that for people that you don't know, and maybe even people that you dislike, could you also do it for your spouse? You don't always have to be right. You don't have to correct every little thing. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. I know a, a 
Christian that's just made some horrible mistakes in her life. And her life has just been a series of ups and I mean, <laughs> from way up to way down to way up to way down. And one time she said, after she was coming out of one of her bad spells, why didn't you believe in me? You know, it seems like sometimes when something, you know, I jokingly mentioned an elder and gunner getting, or getting a DWI or something. Often, when something bad happens to somebody, we just kind of throw in the towel. Well, <laughs> I knew it. There's no hope for them. I never thought they'd amount to anything. The Bible says that love believes all things. We've got to believe in God. We've got to trust his power to change people's lives. We've got to trust his wisdom, the power of his word. We've got to trust the power of prayer, the power of his gospel. We've got to believe in our spouse. We've got to want the best for them, no matter how they are. Just think of all the women who married uh, really bad husbands. You know, we say, what in the world is she seeing him? You know, maybe some drugs and, you know, crime, well, I don't know. But then 20 or 30 years later, he's the leader in the church. Because whether or not she should have married him, she believed in him. She could see the good in him when no one else could. Maybe when he couldn't see the good in himself. Love believes all things. Don't, don't be so quick to throw in the towel when when someone does wrong, or when they're not doing right. Love hopes all things. It kind of goes, they kind of go together. Jimmy Hayes spoke here not too long ago, and I can't remember all the details of his story, but uh, he was a pretty hardened criminal, and he was in jail for a long time. He was on America's Most Wanted, and, and now he's an evangelist. Who would have thought that? How many of us, if we had known him back then, would have said, <laughs> no hope for him? But then how many of us have love in our hearts and, and would hope that the right person would come into his life, Sean Zebot, and believe in him and not give up, bear all things, suffer long, and in the end, Jimmy is saved now. And probably not just him, but I suppose his wife and, and, and all the people he's influenced. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Whoever of the early church, who would have said, hey, I got an idea. Let's go convert Saul. <laughs> but God didn't give up on him. And look what a great guy is. How many people like you meet? Paul is their hero, and we look up to him and respect him. Somebody did not give up. Somebody believed all things and hoped all things. Love endures all things. You know, when, when you get married, you have all these hopes and wishes. But the reality is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, 1995, we moved here from Lubbock. We had six kids. Two of them were foster kids. We just had them a couple years. Um, Melissa would have been five years old, and Laura would have been uh, 12. And uh, we had a U-Haul 
pulling a trailer with, uh, I guess one, or I guess my pickup maybe, and Angie was in the, in the, the minivan with all the kids and had a cat sleeping up on the dash, and we had a dog in each vehicle, and we got in Gunner at 11 o'clock Saturday night, and we were tired. We loaded up on the Friday, and we left the mattresses in the house so we'd have a place to sleep, and we slept, got up, put the mattresses in the back of U-Haul, and drove all this way. We got to Gunner at 11 o'clock that night, unloaded the mattresses, and slept on the, you know, on the mattresses on the floor. On Monday, I hadn't even unloaded the van yet, I started a new job, which turned out to be a very stressful job. And Friday, about noon, our foster boy ran into the side of a truck on what up in Gunners 289 or Preston that comes into Frisco and Dallas and was almost killed. And that was probably the most stressful time of my life. And it was stressful in our marriage because we had five kids at school or at home still that needed to be taken care of. And there I was working, and there Angie was. She wanted to be with Robert in the hospital, and she was wearing herself out. And I can remember one time saying, Angie, you've got to get some rest, which was true. She needed some rest. She says, but I want to be with Robert. And that was a very, very stressful time in our marriage. And I never knew that was going to happen. A lot of you know Peggy Maples and Gunner. Long time ago, back in the 80s, maybe 70s, yeah, it was in the 70s, they had a little boy. There was a cattle chute leaning up against the barn. He put his head through it, and the cattle chute fell over and broke his neck and killed him. Danny Maples, a few years later, fell on a piece of farming equipment and almost killed him. They thought he wouldn't ever have kids again, but he got over that. Then later, uh, they had a baby that was born, I think, two months premature. Of course, Angie and I were married by this time. We lived down in Houston. We came up to Gunner one time, and I saw him when he was, you know, the age, you know, the nine months being in the womb plus an additional few months, and he still looked premature. Look, oh, oh, it was a sorry sight. And then I think within a year after uh, we were here, Clyde one Sunday evening went riding his horse. He was a farmer and a rancher. And I guess the horse bucked him off, and when he was trying to get his horse, kicked him on the top of the head and killed him. She didn't know all that was going to happen. Clyde didn't know all that was going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. But love bears all things. It endures all things. Love or uh, marriage is not a, uh, a sprint, but marriage is a marathon. You just hang in there. You just keep on keeping on. And you look at anybody that's been married for a while, that's happily married, and I'll bet you the reason they're happily married is because they've been through a lot of hard times, but they stuck it out. And now their marriage is stronger than it ever could have been if they hadn't gone through those hard times. And yet you see other people that get divorced after a year or two or five years or ten and and what if, what if they knew these things and had stuck it out? How happy could they be now? And it's really sad. 
because you know, Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants the best for you. And some people just, just won't accept it. So Paul talked about these 14 things that will make your marriage strong. And I guess he, he kind of summed it up in Romans chapter 13 in verse 10. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The Bible says that God is love. And what he wants us to do is to love each other. Like I said, love is not a feeling, but love is the way we treat other people. And I think if you'll take these 14 things that Paul listed in Romans, or 1 Corinthians 13, and, and look at your life, and see maybe where you failed or, and what you could do to improve, I think you're, you'll find that your marriage could be better than ever. So we always offer a, a song of invitation, and, and I don't expect you to come up and confess anything to me. It may not be my business. But you can always confess something to God, and you can always sing the song, and you can make a, uh, a decision that you're going to do some things you haven't done. So we pray that you'll think about these things while we stand and sing this song.